hit me. From Studio P in Sausalito, the home of the hit, it's time for... Suckatash. Yes, Suckatash, the comedy soundcast soundcast featuring snippets from comedy... Soundcast. And also interviews with comedians, comedian soundcasters, and other showbiz folk. And now, here's your host, internationally recognized comedy soundcast soundcaster, Mark... Thank you, Bill Haywatt, our most excellent booth announcer, and hello to you, listener. As previously indicated, I am Mark Hershon, your Soundcast Sommelier, for episode 278 of Succotash, the comedy Soundcast Soundcast. For the uninitiated, here's the deal. Most of the time on this show, we feature clips from comedy soundcasts harvested from all over the internet and we tell you where to find them. Occasionally, however, we'll have a chat with a comedy soundcaster or some other showbiz-related folks, and that's what I have for you today, a visit with an old friend of mine and a funny new voice in the world of animation, Peter Kim. Before I get into his bona fides and our conversation, I wanted to see if you caught our last show, Epi 277, with the co-host I share this feed with, Tyson Saner. We called it Two Nights in a Bite, and Tyson featured clips from Half Hour Happy Hour Ladies Night with Allison and Maud and Tom, Saturday Night Live After Party, and Anxiety Bites. If you want to check that show out, it's available everywhere fine soundcasts are streamed and or downloaded, including Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, Audible, Amazon Music, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and our own home site at SuckatashShow.com. You can visit that home site and check out the blog entry that accompanies each and every episode of Suckatash in order to find links to the show we feature, as well as to the social media feeds of the hosts and guests of many of those shows. As far as this episode's guest goes, let's set the table for Peter Kim. We cover a lot of his journey in our convo, but I first met him when he was a student at an improv comedy class I was teaching in San Francisco. He busted out and helped to start a whole new improv thing there before jumping across the country and into the scene in New York. From there, he headed for the improv homeland of Chicago, immersing himself in Second City, which was a whole experience and with a little bit of unintended adventure in itself, which we'll talk about. He also started a soundcast, The Ajuma Show, which we've featured here on Succotash before. And then he shunted to Los Angeles and started getting some parts in television. Just this month, he made his debut voicing the character of Benny Choi, a 13-year-old kid in the posh Fairfax district of L.A. in an Amazon Prime cartoon called, strangely enough, Fairfax. Here's the audio from the trailer for Fairfax. Yo, you ever f*** with one of those boner pills, Quattro? Nah, nah, my boy Doris took one, and he exploded. The block is hot. Here we are, Dale. Fairfax Avenue. The block is hot. I'm Dale. What up, Dale? That outfit is normcore as hell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You look like if Tom Hanks f***ed to REI. <laughs> True. You literally just named two of my favorite things. Just moved here from Oregon with my family. Can I get a whoop whoop? Don't do that. I'm coming in fast. What's everyone waiting for? The train's Thursday drop. Totally. What's a drop? <gasps> the f*** he just say? Did my little baby make friends? Best friends. So there's this kid, Benny. He's a hype beast. This place is a fashion gold mine. And this girl, Derica, she could legit be president. Stop milking 
almonds. Then there's Truman. He's super artsy. Fire. When do you turn 18? I'm 13, Miss V. Don't make me cancel you. Good morning, Fairfax. You going to Melody's pool party this weekend? Guys, code red. It's an emergency. What the hell are you doing? I haven't talked on the phone since the fourth grade. Hang up and text us back. Latrine's releasing the Dr. Phil box tea. I want one so bad. Yo, we out of larges, so don't your ass. Hey, step a pick for the gram right quick. I felt this good in a minute. You ain't gotta impress nobody. Gang, gang. I'm going in, baby. As long as you stay true to yourself, ain't nothing gonna stop you. Night, night. <laughs> and one for luck. You wanna come party with us? Crank up the thirst meter. Turn and burn! No. That ain't it. Nobody dabs anymore, Jesus. I'ma just do my thing, do my thing. Yo, Joaquin, can you help us out? Been super busy with my new art installation. What's your medium? I'm gonna light myself on fire. Whoa. Love it, so cerebral. I'ma just do my thing, do my thing, do my thing. So you can hear Peter as Benny Choi in there. I've watched the first couple of episodes where he is definitely one of the lead characters, and we talk about what that whole experience is like. Also, the joy of working in your PJs, which I'm enjoying right now. Stay tuned. I guess that's not a soundcast thing. Stay there, and I'll be right back with my chat with Peter Kim right after this message from our sponsor, Henderson's Pants, which, weirdly, is not read by our announcer, Bill Haywatt, this time, but by me. I, I have no idea why. Hello, friends, and happy Thanksgiving from everyone at Henderson's Pants. Rather than waiting for Black Friday and getting dunked in the middle of the shopping deluge, we've got an early treat for all your meat, if your meat of choice happens to be turkey. Introducing Henderson's new turkey trousers, just in time for the traditional holiday feast. Turkey trousers, though stylish and available in a variety of snappy fall colors, bring something else to the table that isn't as obvious to the casual observer. They're made with Henderson's patented expanding waistband, the Waste Not, Want Not, which allows you to go from svelte to stocky in a single meal, and without having to unbelt, unsnap, or unzip your pants in an uncouth manner. How, you might ask? Well, friends, the belt is built in, and simply a part of the Waste Not, Want Not expanding design. Before dinner, your pants are as snug as a bug in a rug, so there's no need for a real belt to hold them up. After you stuff your face with turkey and cranberry sauce and sweet potatoes with that marshmallow stuff on top and string beans in the disgusting jello mold with stuff floating in it and pumpkin pie with whipped cream, not to mention highballs and eggnog and wine, the waistband expands as you do, but always with just enough extra room so you don't feel or look stuffed to the rafters. And after dinner, the Waste Not Want Not has enough extra give that you can pull your Henderson's turkey trousers right up around your chin and burrow into the couch for a well-deserved nap. Originally designed for use by the Incredible Hulk, Kim Kardashian's ass, and the entire Mormon Tabernacle Choir, Henderson's turkey trousers are available wherever bedraggled-looking Santas are standing outside, ringing their bells for your spare change. That's Henderson's, makers of shin sheaths and butt cradles since 1621. And now, back to Succotash. All right, joining me is uh, Peter Kim, old friend of, well, friend of mine, not really a friend of the podcast, although, you know what, you are a friend of the podcast. We've played uh, several clips from your Ajuma uh, show on here. 
And uh, so, yeah, I consider you a, a friend of Succotash as well as uh, a personal friend of mine. Absolutely. Uh, we are catching up with you. Uh, you're in Los Angeles, yeah? I am, yes. Currently, you can uh, hear Peter on uh, <laughs> Amazon Prime's new uh, great cartoon called Fairfax. So mm. it's, a, it's a little bit like, there's, I mean, there's a little sort of flavor of Family Guy and The Simpsons and Rick and Morty. Mm-hmm. And then it's yeah. got, and then it has this really unique twist that's I guess you could almost say is purely Los Angeles. There, there's absolutely. It's about Fairfax is about the the district, the the famed fashion district in Los Angeles, and it's definitely a very hyper localized comedy. <laughs> um, so thank you for watching it. <laughs> I guess it helps that I spent time in LA and I, I'm familiar with with Fairfax and some yeah. of the stuff you guys are riffing on. But you do the voice of Benny. That's right, Benny on, Choi. On the show. Uh, and you're very prominently featured. You're like the first character we see in the in the Yeah. Uh, in no the, one told me. Yeah, in the pilot, <laughs> in, the, in the pilot. Before we kind of get into sort of Fairfax and how you got there. Mm-hmm. Um just to kind of go back in in history, Peter and I know each other. I think we met in two thousand nine, right? That's right. Uh, San Francisco. That's right. I was teaching uh, an improv class at the San mm-hmm. Francisco Comedy College. That's right. <laughs> with, with Sammy Wegent and uh, Peter was part of. I think you were part of our inaugural class, if I'm not mistaken. Was it the first class? Well, we start, yeah, we wow. started at like kind of the basic level and then went through a couple of different levels. And then you were in the improv group that we like formed yes. from the graduates yes. from the class. Frisco, that's Fris- right. Frisco. Free range improv. School uh, and comedy. School and comedy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I forgot what the O was, but it, it figured itself out. Organization it a, probably. Or, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was... It was really fun. It was it was something so new to me, and it was something that I um, was advised to do after taking a stand up class at Humby College. Yeah, they were like, um, "Yeah, you'd be good at improv. Like, you should try improv." And I had never even like I think I I, I saw whose line is it anyway. Obviously, it was a sure. huge thing, but um, like. I never saw improv before, like in college or like per- performed anywhere. Like it wasn't, it was such a f- foreign world for me. Interesting. And you were my entree into this world. <laughs> well, you took to it like uh, a proverbial duck takes to water, man. I mean, you were, <laughs> you know, you were one of the powerhouses in that first group we had. And then you very quickly, um, I don't even think it was two years into it that uh, you and uh, who was it? it was Chris Chris Blair Chris Blair yes. and you guys spun off End Games, which is a whole different thing. It was like a, yeah. a whole sort of competition based improv thing that turned into a school and it turned into like a whole program. Yeah, yeah, uh, and then crazy, it, <laughs> and then and then you left. Then you left. And then I left. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, bye, losers. Um, no, I, you know, everything, you introduced me to improv and I just found it as a, like, as a 
you know, a chubby, gay, closeted Korean kid growing up in a immigrant household, like having fun and being silly or doing anything on stage was the most foreign thing to me. You know, I could have, I, I never even thought it was like, it was something I could do. And when, when I was doing classes with you and Sammy, I think it just really unlocked something in me that like made me really, um, I mean, I, I don't know, maybe just start to like have fun <laughs> with my <Yeah>. life. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the people that were in those classes were not trying to be comedians or try to get into showbiz. A lot of them were, some of them were advertising people that they're, you know, their boss said. Yeah, I was in tech. Yeah, yeah, the boss said, take an improv class, you know, the mm-hmm. idea that it'll kind of free your mind up and get you sort of creatively thinking. But yeah. I mean, you really kind of dove into it. Um, I went nuts. I dove into it. And after I took your class, you know, I was working for Yahoo at that time, which mm-hmm. at that time was a prominent um, internet yeah. <laughs> goliath. Yeah, yeah, And I was making um, a, an insane amount of money. And I was going to New York a lot to do like, client stuff and I would just like book two weeks in New York and like work from the New York office and then take intensives at UCB oh cool and I I just remember thinking like this is it like the the when I went to Chelsea the theater at Chelsea that they had there was a heartbeat to this space that I really like wanted and I think what we um kind of initiated with Frisco and the uh, and, and the jams and all that. And really, we really try to build a community. And I think from there on, I was just really inspired from, from doing stuff with you guys and then going to UCB to really like have my own thing Yeah, where, you know, we're doing this type of improv that we didn't really see in SF or I didn't see in SF. And, um, and then that's kind of how Endgames came to be was I, I just went to every single improv show I could in San Francisco and I was like I like the way you're doing stuff I like the way you're doing stuff like let's all do like this one big like celebratory competition thing it means nothing but it'll be a chance for everyone to like see each other and stuff like that yeah and um yeah and that rolled into um you know us having our own show and games becoming a thing and then you know Mark there was a point where we were like the hottest ticket in, in in town at one point, and I just got really, I spiraled mm. into like this, like, what? I've been doing this for two years. This can't, what is this? <laughs> this can't be it. You know, like uh, imposter yeah. syndrome to the maximum. Yeah. You know, so I decided to go, hey guys, I, I, I really, I want to do this for real. Like, I don't want to be, Endgames Improv's Peter Kim, you know, like, and, and no shade to Endgames Improv, but I, I wanted to do, I wanted to do it. Now, I don't want to like be there and run a theater. That wasn't, that wasn't in my plan of plans. It, it happened, you know, it, it was a side effect of something I was doing, but it wasn't the goal. Right. Right. Yeah. So then you went so to that's Chi- why I left. Then, you, then you went to Chicago. Mm-hmm. Right? I went to Chicago. Yes. And uh, you were with um I quit Yahoo. You quit Yahoo? Yeah. yeah. What was, no, I, so what was that like? So you're I mean what 
was it ever th sort of on your radar when you started, you know, you had this great job at Yahoo where you're going, mm -hmm. well, the, the comedy thing's okay, but it's like, it's kind of a sideline thing. I mean, were your parents sort of like, what's this? My comedy? mom was furious. <laughs> she was like, what the fuck are you doing? Um, you, you finally are making, you know, a, an amount of money where you're better off than we are now. You know, like it's this whole like, we came here from a war-torn country so that you can be better than us, you know? <laughs> and she really did on that understand why I was doing, she, she would come to like my improv shows and not, she doesn't understand English. So she would not understand what's going on, what the scenes were about, why we're running in front of each other. Like she just like couldn't get it. And she was like, you're throwing away a stable career and a 401k to do, yuck yucks you know with these people like what is this you know so uh, but i i think i was like I, I was mesmerized by the fact that i can create um extemporaneously and that really bit the creator in me uh, wanting to come out and in chicago i went oh so i i quit um yahoo and i had about like I don't know, like $50,000 in my savings account. And I was like, all right, I'm going to like live on this for five years <laughs> <laughs> in Chicago. I'll like intern and blah, blah. And um, lo and behold, it lasted a year and two months. Mm. And I, I, I had to get a job at 31 um, serving tables on my mm. knees. It was a Japanese restaurant really? called Gyukaku. Yeah. And as a Korean person, this was a whole like mind fuck, you oh know, a generation before they would, my ancestors were are like turning around in their graves that I was like serving people on my knees, but at a Japanese restaurant. <laughs> anyway, it's really complicated, but the money was good. <laughs> wow. Wow. And I had to do that. I had to like go back to zero from making so much money and feeling stable to being completely unstable and poor and um, but there was something like, there was something romantic about doing that in Chicago. Mm. You know, if Chicago feels like a very like blue collar working class town. So it, it fit the brand of yeah. the city. Yeah. So you got, you got to start, we're working with second city, right? Yes. I, um, so I, I did all the, like, you know, I got into the community, started doing shows and classes and stuff like that. And I, I got hired to tour with Second City. So I started touring for them. And then I did, and then they asked me to do their resident stage. Mm -hmm. So do a review, write, a, write and perform a review on their ETC stage, did that. So yeah, it was my first time uh, as a working comedian, you know, with a, and an equity, this, and an equity this, contract. And you're yeah. on the storied stage. This you know, incredibly like, yeah, iconic American institution. But you're also there when the slats kind of came out of the whole thing, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and how, how much a part of that sort of, were you part of, or did it just sort of like, sort of come out from under you? And you <sighs> I think it was always, it was brewing, you know, it's like anything sociopolitical, you know, like, Second City was, the, you know, heralded in the 70s as the temple of satire, you know, and 
but you know, you do that long enough as one kind of demographic and you start to try, I, I think it was kind of a precursor to what, what, what was going to happen in this country, kind of where like, you know, the demographics are changing and, you know, power is changing and it was, it was hard. It was hard for people, good people who thought they were doing good things, right. but ultimately not really listening, Yeah, you know, and you see that everywhere in every corporation. It's like diversity program, you know, we love it, but <laughs> the intent behind diversity programs, there's always a like, oh God, we gotta do this thing, you know, like, yeah. so yeah. that's the, that's the core of what, why it doesn't work. Yeah. You know, is that you're looking at it as a burden because you're diversifying. <laughs> well, what was it, what was it like for you? Because here you are, you, you get to Chicago, you're kind of back to nothing, like you said, and then you kind of mm -hmm. climb your way into this, this yeah. vehicle that's kind of ready made for you and the talent, the skill set you've developed. And then all of a yeah. sudden, all of a sudden this diversity, apart. yeah, this diversity yeah. thing suddenly blows it. I mean, pretty much literally blew that program apart. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think uh, I, I can't really blame it all on the diversity, although it is a huge catalyst. I think at the end of the day, I'm sure you're hearing this too. Like, the arts has become commoditized and has become corporatized. So like you, you know, and Second City and the Temple of Satire is not immune to that, no. <laughs> you know? So yeah. like, so I think what once started as a almost like punk rock, like fuck the man type of cool um, 60s, 70s beat type of, um, you know beginnings have now turned into you know snl's doing product placement so it's like <laughs> that's the way of the world you know so like i think that was happening on top of the diversification happening like every the wheels all wheels were coming apart I think, yeah in all of it yeah so yeah. so there you are now with the sort of the in the sort of the ruins of this this uh, institution <laughs> around you. And th is that when you made the move to Los Angeles? I stayed another year. I okay. left Second City. It was the most depressing time of my life. And it, it really was. Like, I, I, I had my dream job. Yeah. And it became a complete, absolute waking nightmare. And um, I spent a year kind of figuring out well, if this wasn't it, then what the fuck was I doing? And I got back into stand-up, back into that first thing I did before I met you, you know? And I really just started, like, writing a lot mm. and uh, writing a lot of story, doing a lot of storytelling, doing a lot of stand-up and doing a lot and, and writing a web series and writing a pilot like I it's something like unlocked in me and I just like it was like a flood came out and I think I spent so much time um after meeting you like pretending to be someone else on stage mm -hmm. and it, it was about time that I like faced myself yeah. and is my that, story started like really coming out is that when you uh started the Ajuma podcast it's, that's that is actually uh, I started that podcast um right almost right after I left Second City, 
right around when uh, right around Trump's inauguration, mm. I needed a I needed it. I needed something. <laughs> yeah. We we all needed something. Yeah, Peter. we all needed it. <laughs> right, right. And you started that. I'm sorry, your your partner's name. I'm drawing a blank because Unji Kim. Yes. Yes. No relation. No, no relation. No. No relation. Yeah. Um, but she was also in the improv world over there in she Chicago. Was. She was in the improv world, stand up world, and we kept we circled each other like for years. And after Second City, kind of, uh, you know, it became like a denouement of my creative career. <laughs> I met her in stand up, and I was like, "Oh wait, we're we're so good together. We're so fun together. We should we should just sit down and like talk." And then we talked and we had a blast. And then we went to a Korean spot together and we had a blast. And we're like, you know what? We have to get on mics. And then we and then we haven't stopped since February of 2017. That's great. That's yeah. great. And it's a, it's a really fun podcast. And you get into some deep, deep shit, which is interesting, too. I mean, uh, thank you. I mean, yeah. because of your your shared heritage, you guys have this sort of point of commonality. And yet I think you realize there are people listening that it's, you know, it's a foreign world to yeah. some of them. So you sort of, yeah. you're sort of opening the door for yeah. people to learn more about Korean culture and more importantly, I think Korean sensibilities. Absolutely. Absolutely that, uh, you know, the coolest thing that's happened, I am I, always very surprised by the fact that people listen to this because it's so, it, it's not, it can't be fun for anyone because <laughs> it's a lot of us screaming <laughs> and <laughs> um being dorky about something that like only like less than one percent of the population would know you know and so like i'm always surprised when people listen but the coolest thing that happened was this professor i think at upenn or penn state one of the pennsylvania schools um said hey i sent this to my colleague in the asian arts department or asian like cultural studies department mm -hmm. or something like that and he's he's starting to listen to this and he thinks this is so incredible. And that like, and I was like, oh, really? Why? And he goes, we're going to start putting it into the curriculum because it is a living law mm. of Korean American first generation experience that doesn't exist anywhere. Interesting. Like it's, there's no codified thing of this. So I, that really touched me. I was like, whoa, that's. That's pretty cool. <laughs> That's very cool. That's really great. That's really yeah. great. <laughs> now I'm homework for other people. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. So then at some point, when, when do you start transitioning into acting and start making a move to, yeah. back to the West Coast? <clears throat> well, you know, I, I, I was acting on, on stage improvisationally, yeah, but you sure. know, I, I was, I was doing that. And while I was doing all that second city improv stuff, I was, you know, doing commercials and, you know, those small kind of um, TV roles, co-star roles that you, you go off for when you live in Chicago, like Chicago fire and like all oh, the yeah. Chicago, like Dick Wolf shows and, um, and the small amounts of like indie films that come to Chicago. So like, I was in that world of auditioning. And um, so, you know, I, I, I got enough like TV credits to um, become SAG in Chicago, which is way cheaper than becoming, <laughs> yeah. being a Screen Actors Guild uh, actor in, in Hollywood, I found out. 
anyway, so I, I did that and I was doing, uh, I was doing, um, I, I wrote, I wrote, co-wrote my own uh, web series so mm-hmm. that I was acting in that and just, you know, like getting kind of my reel together so that I had something to show someone. Sure. You know? Yeah. What was the, what was the web series? It was called Queers. Okay. Um, it's kind of like two broke uh, gays meets Broad City. <laughs> okay. Uh, how, did, how, yeah. did, how, how was that received? Well, yeah, we, um, some, uh, a company approached us um, and asked us for content and we pitched this thing and they were like, that's great. We'll throw money behind it. So they paid for the whole thing and it got into uh, the New York television festival and um, yeah, we screened there, premiered there, and it was really that's great. Got a, yeah, got a lot of nice, like, fun meetings um, with Comedy Central and some other companies. So, like, yeah, it was nice. It was cool. And then, um, yeah, and then I came we came to LA 2017, um, in just in time to do this thing called the CVS Diversity Showcase, <laughs> and it was a sketch showcase um, for for diverse. Com- comedy actors okay and it's it's designed to like be shown to the industry right before pilot season starts yeah. uh and they're like here's all these people of color and queers that you could hire as well you know like <laughs> <laughs> and did you write your own material for that or were you put into somebody else's work both both okay. did yeah was i i, I was cat i was part of the cast but um, we were allowed to bring in our own stuff and, you know, so it, yeah, it was really, it was really fun to do. And then that led to um, a couple of cool opportunities. Um, most of them uh, of which I got cut out of, but. Welcome to my world now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I feel your pain. <laughs> But you know, you get to list it as a credit, and it's yeah, yeah, so, yeah. And then I, yeah. I, I remember I was, uh, I, I, you'd kind of other than I mean, I was aware of the podcast. Like I said, we featured it on Suckatash, but you and I hadn't talked in a while. And then, then you got uh, that part in Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yes, yes. God, oh my yes. god, I knew you were going to bring this up. <laughs> the most painful thing. I was so excited. I thought because I got to improvise with. Um, Larry David yeah, and John yeah. Hamm. That's what you were telling me. You're going, this is great. I got to improvise with these guys and stuff. And then and it was so, it went so well, but you know, sometimes you got to get shit down and it just gets on. Yeah. I mean, they, you know, it's, it's all the editing thing. It just, it's not because they didn't like you or what was yeah. happening. It's just, they, they're telling a story. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what, and happens. especially a show like that, where it's like very loose and improvised, you know, there's a, they overshoot so they could cut. So I but, get it, but it was uh, it was hard to. Yeah, that was a hard the, one. But the exposure to those guys is you yeah. Know, that, that's yeah, that's yeah. where that's where you're sort of in. To, you're sort of twofold. You're investing in. Hey, these guys might remember me mm-hmm. next time something comes up. But it's also like getting to see their process at work. That's and, the coolest. And, and I know me. you're. Yeah. I know you're very into that. Which I mean, that's mm-hmm. it's sort of like you're like a sponge, and you like soak this stuff up every time you make a jump into something else. Yeah, and it's very yeah. clear to see in your, you know, the stuff you put out. You go, wow, he's learned from that. Now he's learned from that. Mm-hmm. And to be able to see Larry David in action, someone like John Hamm, yeah, yeah, you know, doing that <laughs> stuff, it's got it's got to pay off in ways that 
is you know never anything that anybody would see except you. You're the only one that would really appreciate mm-hmm. where that's no, going. That's absolutely true. Like that was it was really it was absolutely super cool to get to work with these guys and you know talk to them between scenes and see how they work and you know what yeah it's really cool to work with people better than you Uh, that's all I ever want to do you know what I mean (laughs) if I'm the like if I'm the most talented person on set I'm doing something wrong (laughs) (laughs) well yeah that's I mean that's where the continuing education comes in right otherwise you're in the position of oh great I guess people are now learning from me and what am I going to tell these people (laughs) no I have nothing to give anyone that's why I'm not going to have kids I'm like I have no wisdom to part to give nothing (laughs) well I doubt that's very true but um and then then when I start saw your tweet about Fairfax. Uh, how, so, so now, now you're moving into this other realm of voiceover, which is a totally kick-ass work in your sweatpants job, which oh, yeah. is it's so, <laughs> so enviable. Um, so, so how do you make, how do you make that, how do you slide into that position? Mm. Where, where do they find you? How do you yeah. find out about this project? A uh, very good question. I have no idea. No, uh, I I had done a couple of voiceover stuff, um, tiny roles in a movie called Spies in Disguise, an animated thing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and um, what did I do? I forgot. There was one other thing, but like it was nothing of note. So there was no reason for them to be coming to look for me, but. They were looking to cast this character, Benny Choi, and um, a Korean person, obviously. And they were looking and looking, and I guess they like couldn't find someone in the like the right person in the first round of hmm. casting. So um, I guess they ended up like going out to like their friends or whatever. And my managers heard of it, and they were like, "Hey." you know, would you like to put yourself on tape for this thing? I, you know, it's not a lot of money, but blah, blah, blah. And I was like, wait, it's the lead. What do you mean? It's not a lot of money. It's like, well, it's, you know, it's under this contract, blah, blah, you know, things work out this way where you're signing on because this is going to be a cool project, not like for the money. And I'm like, what the fuck? I'm starting, you know, and at that point when I was like, it was right before pandemic where I was starving and I was like, Maybe I have to go back to tech. Like, what am I doing? And um, yeah, so you do it for exposure. I, I, you know, Bobby Slayton always had this great line about how my manager wanted me to do this this job because he says it's great exposure. And he says, what are you talking about? People fucking die of exposure. <laughs> <laughs> Truly, this, it does feel like death by exposure living in Hollywood. Um, but it is, it, I, I didn't really understand like what that meant and mm. so they were like you should put yourself on tape so I did and I remember it was it was late it was a late tape like I I forgot about it I, w- I was doing a bunch of shows and getting drunk so like that was a mess <clears throat> and I, I remember the morning my uh the my manager's assistant texted me like are you gonna tape or not and I was like oh shit and I went down and read through it and taped something sent it in a month later, did not hear. A month later, they're like, we'd like you to take a look at new sites for a callback. And I was like, okay. So I looked at the new sites and then um, sent it in. And then they, about like, um, again, I think another month or something, 
they asked me to come into the studio to Titmouse and um, do a studio test. So I came in and I guess they were testing like a few handful of people. And I came in and I just like knew this character, you know, like I had a take on it that no one else had, I guess. Mm. And I just had so much fun with it, improvising, you know, just like going off script and having a great time in the studio. And, you know, in those uh, uh, sound studios, like audio booths, there's a sliver of window and you can see all the creators like dying and like falling off their chairs and like pointing at each other. And that I knew then I was like, I don't know if I got this, but I did it. I did like, it doesn't matter if I got it or not. Like I killed it. And I, it was one of those things, like I left the room and they gave, they all shook my hand. They were like, this was so awesome. And I remember getting in the car and thinking like, I don't even want it. Like, it, 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 like I want it, but like, I'm not attached to it in an ego way. You know, yeah. where I was like, you know, most times I think if I like kill the audition, I don't even think about it. Cause I'm like, if you hire someone else, then yeah. I, you're not looking for me, you know? Right, like, right. so it was very clear that like I had killed it and I didn't even think about it. And then they offered me the role and, um, and then pandemic hit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The pandemic. They, I, we finished negotiations January. Oh no. Oh my God. (laughs) And then, um, they were like, okay, we're going to have a kickoff call in February. So, and they were like, oh, should we all meet? I don't know. Like, let's just kick off on Zoom, but this will be over soon, right? And then, yeah, Yeah, the sun, you know, in summer, it's going to fucking burn up the virus. You know, everybody was just had like crazy things. And and it was apparent that we were not going to be able to do it um, in studio or with each other or do any table reads together. So they sent us um, these mobile booths. No kidding. It's like this box where you stick your head into it and it's padded. And so it's so fucking, and I was living in this like old uh, apartment in North Hollywood where there was no central air. So there was like no air conditioning in this one room. Oh. And I, it was, I, you know, people say like, oh, you know, they compare the worst thing to Vietnam. Like, this felt like my own personal Vietnam. <laughs> it was difficult. Oh, my God. On top of pandemic on t- and leading a series. I had never led a series before. I had never done a table read where I didn't have more than five lines yeah. before this. You know, like I was doing guest stars and stuff like that. And so now, like, you're, now you're in isolation in a room by yourself. Yeah. You're, you're the lead, lead in the series. But I knew we were going to be good because the, the first table read with everyone on Zoom, it was fire. It was like we couldn't stop laughing at each other and with each other. Like it was so fun. So I knew that, you know, we had something, we had a chemistry. There was something happening, yeah. although we never acted together. That's hilarious. Except for every table read. So wow. we did. We did all of season one in these mobile booths and um, season two, we got to go into studio. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's great. So season one is up now. Season two hasn't come out yet, Mm -hmm. right? It has not. Um, And I think there's 16 episodes in season one. I'm trying to remember. Uh, Eight, eight, eight in each. Oh, eight. So, okay. So that's what it was. Eight in season one. And um, season two, I think 
I just did ADR like a week ago. Oh, okay. A few weeks ago. So like, I, they're like finishing everything. Now. Well, I'll tell you that to me, the, I mean, the show was really funny. I, I watched it. I go, oh, I'm going to be talking to Peter. I should watch the show. So I watched the pilot and I go, God damn, this is actually really funny. <laughs> and it's, it's it, believe me it is not aimed at my demographic i'll tell you that right now no but, no no not not even but, mine i'll tell you that <laughs> but it was it didn't matter it, again it was like right. watching like rick and morty or something it's got so many different flavors and layers and levels mm -hmm. that it's like even if you don't know what a couple of jokes are you just wait another two seconds and there's going to be something else Pack so it's jokes. very fast paced, a great mm -hmm. supporting cast. You guys got some great, oh my God. A, great actors as supporting cast people. I don't know how they did it. Like JB Smoove is a pigeon. Yeah, JB Smoove and um uh John Leguizamo yes. as the pigeons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pamela Adlon yes. as the waitress. <laughs> um God, who else? So many good people. Ben Schwartz. Yeah. Um, and just for like one, you know, one shot. You know, they come in and they're just yeah. a guest star character. It was great. If you, I don't, if you watch season uh, episode three, it's the one where they go to like an old folks home for their mm -hmm. like volunteer credit. And we got we Henry Winkler, Garrett Morris, wow. and Elliot Gould. Like we were, we were doing table reads with these legends. Like it was crazy. So every table read I'd be reading with like some, super famous person like billy porter like it was wow out of control and i could not believe what i was doing you know and it also struck me again like should i be here am i worthy of this what you know <laughs> what does this mean like am i gonna fuck this up like constantly well that's amazing um and so uh i know the see the, the series really has just kind of come out so it's like mm -hmm. what kind of feedback have you gotten so far such great feedback I, you know, uh, mostly from my friends, sure. like my other comedian friends who are really liking it. And I think it's, unfortunately, it doesn't have a wide uh, demographic. It's not broadcast, you know, right. it's very niche um, Amazon Prime targeted at like coastal elite type of, you know, it, it is. But um, I think at the at the center of it all, it's just four friends who are like trying to be a crew, you know? So like, I think, yeah. it, I think it's, everyone will like it for sure. Yeah, no, it's great. And you, I mean, you come off really well in terms of voice talent, you know, oh, it's, thanks. it's not like, Oh, they got this guy. Cause you know, just some sort of quirky reason why we're going to hire him. Cause I mean, mm -hmm. you, you come across to me as really solid voice talent. There's the there in the in the second episode, there's the the challenge where you're trying to lose a lot of weight and you really do these <laughs> some funny shit with your voice, where you you become this emaciated version yes. of, of the character, um, and for you to be able to make that swing and change and stuff. To me, it seems like the stuff that, I mean, because the the one good thing about breaking into this voice arena, mm. I think, is it can become a very self sustaining part of business in terms yeah. of, of terms of, of show business. And, and now you look at people that cross over constantly from doing episodic TV to doing voice work to mm -hmm. doing, you know, video games and stuff like that. And I got to think that, so, you know, people that are going to watch this show are going to be people that are going to go, Oh, these are some new voices in, in voiceover we mm -hmm. haven't used before. And they're always mm -hmm. looking for that. So, yeah. 
you know, I hope my, so. My, my fingers are crossed that, you know, <laughs> me too. right people are going to hear what's going on. Uh, me too, Mark. Thank you. I would love to continue to work in my PJs. <laughs> and what does mom think at this point? What is what does mom say? Now she's she's cool with it. Now that she knows that I'm not like, you know, um, desperately poor and um, you know destitute, she's like back on it now. And you know, before like an improv show, she can't really point to her friends and brag about. But like, you know, being a voice on a cartoon, she could be like, look at what my son's doing. So it all comes down to like her status, like what right. she could gain out of this. <laughs> does, does it ever reach her about the, the idea that you're doing what you want to be doing or you're trying to be doing no. what you want to be doing? That doesn't matter. I mean, I think I think yes, I, I, <laughs> I give her a hard time. I think at the core, she is happy that I'm happy for sure. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. Well, it's been great, Peter. Uh, love catching up with you. Um, hoping to be in LA again soon. Uh, yeah. Now that now that sort of restrictions have lifted and we can kind of actually move around and go places. So I'd love to grab a meal with you when I'm in LA next time. That sounds great. Um, where can people, f- well, people can find the show, uh, mm-hmm. Fairfax on Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. And where else can they find out about you? There's the Ajuma podcast. Uh, yeah, I do my podcast on Spotify, iTunes, all the stuff. And um, you can follow me at Peter KZ on the socials. All right. Very good. Yeah. Well, Peter, again, great ca- to catch up with you. Thanks so much for the time. Yeah. Thank you, Mark. And uh, hopefully talk to you soon. Yeah, for sure. All right, buddy. Take care. Bye. Thanks once again to Peter for that chat. Be sure to check out his soundcast, The Ajuma Show. Also, Fairfax on Amazon Prime. It's really funny. Before I jet out of here, it's been a few weeks, so let's take a dip into the tweet sack. Hiya, Tweety. Miss me? I'll bet. Here's a rundown of the folks who've mentioned at Succotash Show in their social media streams recently. Misfit Scully. Fascination Street. Fly Anvil. The Talkin' Dicks. The Projection Booth Podcast. I Shake My Head with Lisa and Sam. SNL After Party. Judd Brewer, MD, PhD, Steve Finn, Salty Language Pod, The Jock Doc Podcast, Rick Overton, B-Movie Bry, Filthy Hippie in Pajamas, The D-Head Factor, Let's Chat Podcast, Travis Clark, and Ed Wallach. There, then, is your episode 278 of Succotash. Thanks to Peter Kim. We've got links to the show on the show blog at SuccotashShow.com. Thanks to Bill Haywater, our announcer. And thanks most of all to you. You and your ears. Without you listening, we are nothing. Next week, Tyson Sainer will be back with a clutch of soundcast clips for Epi 279. So in the meantime, be as good as you can be under today's stressful conditions. Remember to take a deep breath every once in a while, like now. Get yourself vaxxed or boosted, slap on a mask when you should, and remember, if anyone ever asks if you've heard anything good lately, won't you please remember to pass the succotash? You've 
You've been listening to Sockatash, the comedy soundcast soundcast with your host, Mark Hershaw. Brought to you by Henderson's Pants and... Imagine your company's name right here. Rate us and review us at Apple and Google Podcasts. Find us on the web at SuckatashShow.com. On Spotify. On Stitcher. On iHeartRadio. On YouTube. On SoundCloud. And wherever fine soundcasts are streamed and or downloaded. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Suckatash Show. Like us on Facebook. Email us at marc at succotashshow.com or call into the Succotash Skype line at our toll call number 818-921-7212. You can also upload clips from your favorite comedy soundcasts directly to us using our direct upload link at hightail.com slash you slash Succotash. Succotash is produced and engineered by Joe Paulino through the auspices of Studio P. Sausalito, the home of the hit. Our hosts are Mark Hershon and Tyson Saner. Our musical director is Scott Carvey. Our booth assistant is Kenny Durges. Succotash is executive produced by Mark Hershon. Until next time, I'm your loyal booth announcer, Bill Haywatt, reminding you to please pass the Succotash goodbye. This has been a Succotash Patch production.